conflicts that are going on right now, the lack of peace in our world, uh, wars and rumors of wars, things going on. Think about your own life, how certain circumstances can come upon you and that peace that is so desired is gone in a second. Uh, the reality is uh, we desire peace. Now, the world has its own way of giving peace. Jesus shared that he gives his peace not as the world gives. The world has a peace, but it's not the Lord's peace. But Jesus does give peace. And with that in mind, we're going to see that we, as believers, are to have the right heart attitudes, that we, as we follow the Lord Jesus, are to be allowing his peace to rule our hearts. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verse 15 today, and we're going to see the heart attitudes. We're going to begin to see the heart attitudes we are to put on in the context of putting on Christ, where our hearts are to be in that context. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing the Colossian church. Uh, he is imprisoned in Rome under house arrest, 62 AD about, and although he has never visited them personally, he has heard from Epaphras, uh, concerning their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for one another, but also that there are threats to their faith. There are those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. There are serious threats. Um, there are serious threats in the context that they are trying to uh, come along and pull them away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. We see that these arguments were aimed at how we deal with our flesh. We see in the end of chapter 2, he says, but these things, what the bad guys were saying, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They're of no value. False teachers were proposing a way to deal with the believer's ongoing struggle with fleshly indulgence. The reality is we do struggle. We, don't, we still have this body of flesh. We don't want to sin. Our spirits have been redeemed, but we do. And we, we, we yield at times. But we don't want to. And so bad guys were coming around giving them a system or a way to uh, keep themselves from sinning, but they're of no value. So what is the Apostle Paul's solution to this dilemma? It is a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, thanking God, first of all, for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love. Chapter 1, and secondly, in that context, praying that they would have come to the full knowledge of, of his will. They'd walk in the full knowledge of his will, and that would be manifest in their behavior. And within that, he began to give a picture of who Jesus truly is. Jesus, first of all, he is the Redeemer, and in him we have forgiveness of sins. And he is also the Supreme Lord of the first creation. Through him and by him, all things were created for him. And he is also the Supreme Lord of the new creation, the body of Christ. He is preeminent. He is fully God and man. And he died to reconcile us in order to present us holy and blameless beyond reproach. He is a totally sufficient Savior. And after having made clear concerning the, who Christ is and him being totally sufficient, the Apostle Paul, in light of the bad guys he would talk about in chapter 2, begins to share what biblical ministry should look like in the body of Christ. And we saw that. We saw that authentic ministry has God's men ministering, those who preach and teach the Word of God fully. We saw that they are those who preach God's message, Christ proclaimed Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we saw the method that God uses. Christ proclaimed by his power with the goal, maturity and completeness for everybody in the body of Christ. And then in chapter 2, he began to share his deep concern and struggle for them, admonishing them not to be deluded with persuasive arguments, not to be spiritually kidnapped by worldly deceptive religious arguments that, are, that subtly pull us away from trusting Christ and that we in him have been made complete, that we have a complete Savior, or a complete salvation from a Savior who is fully God and fully man, and in him, as I mentioned, we are complete. So therefore, as we have received Christ, we are to walk in him, the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. We're to resist those false teachers. We're not to let them kidnap us, in a sense. We're not to let them shipwreck our faith with legalism, mysticism, or asceticism. We are not to be dependent on religious shadows. We are not to delight in religious experience. We are not to submit to religious decrees because they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. But instead, we should be setting our minds, on our focus on the person of Christ, setting our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ, and we are going to be with him in future glory. So keep seeking the things above. 
And therefore, we see how we are, how we to our, to, to think and we're to focus on Christ, but then how are we to act? We're to put to death sexual sin. We're to not let it live in our lives. Because of our union with Christ, we don't need to let it live. Put it to death. And we're to put off those things, those attitudes that are contrary to our Savior. We're to put off those things uh, in, in, that are that our old nature lived in anger, wrath, malice, uh, slander, abusive speech, those things we're to put them off, and we are to clothe ourselves with Christ since in position we have put aside the old man and we have taken on the new man by faith in Jesus Christ, and so we are to put those things on, and within that, as we clothe ourselves with his compassion, kindness, gentleness. Humility, patience, long-suffering, forgiving one another. If we have any complaints against anyone, we're to forgive, right? And as we do that, we're to put on love. It's the, the sash that brings it all together, which is the perfect bond of unity. And it's from this point, after saying what we took off and what we put on, like a, like a dirty garment, throwing it off and putting on these characteristics in Christ, that we are given the heart attitudes behind what we are to do. And so we come to our passage today where I believe we're to see that we are to have his peace ruling our hearts as believers. I'm going to read the passage here, Colossians chapter 3.15, but I'm going to back up to verse 12 so we can read into it. And I'm going to read past it also, okay? Because our passage goes all the way up to verse 17, and then we have specific applications in specific relationships of how Christ within our lives is lived out. Verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then here's our passage. And, notice the and, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's what we're going to look at today, but I want to keep reading. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So then, today we're going to see those who are putting to death sin, those who are setting it, up, setting it off, those who are, who are tearing it off like a garment, saying no to it, who are putting on Christ, the character of Christ, as we set our minds on things above, that we're to let something happen. We're to let something happen. And we're going to see that we as believers should be those who have the most peace anywhere. We shouldn't be those who are all upset and out of bent out of shape about everything in our lives. Something's wrong if that's happening. But God is good. He wants to teach us. He wants to help us understand. And that's why we have his word to cause us to be more like Christ. So here, we're going to see that we're to continually let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. We're going to see what that means. It's, it sounds really simple. It's not simple. As I studied this, I said, this is complex. Lord, I, I don't understand this. you got to help me. There's some words that have some difficult meaning in here. And, and it, it's, it's hard. So we've got to ask God to give us wisdom on what he intended, and he will. The Spirit of God will teach us. So here, he says, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to indeed, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now before we get a closer look at our passage, there are two um, commands. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that's the first one. And the second one is, and be thankful. And these are imperative commands. Now, you have the term let, it kind of doesn't sound like a command. Like it talks about let the word of Christ towards you. It's the same thing, it's a command. It's not really let, it's do it. It really is. It's an imperative command. And then did you notice our passage began with the term and. You know, if I was to say and, let's go to the store. You'd be, there's something I've connected that to, right? It doesn't just sit by itself. And so this passage, and this is helpful for interpreting this, it is connected to what was previously said. It's very important. It's going to help us. It's going to help us. Indeed, as I mentioned in review already, we who have been raised with Christ are to keep seeking the things above, the things of Christ. And then by his power and strength, we're not to let sexual sin live. 
We're to put off sinful attitudes such as anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from our mouths. Since we are new creations in Christ, having laid aside the old self and put on the new self, being renewed continually habitually to a true knowledge of him, since that's what's happening, we are then to... We are then to throw off these things. We're to say no. We're to put them off. We're not to let them live. Uh, we're to effectively take them off as a rotten garment and toss it to the side. And then we saw because we've been chosen, we are holy and beloved, we are to put on the character of Christ. We're to uh, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also shall you. And remember, this is all summed up in the context of love. And beyond these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. So you're putting on the character of Christ, and love is the, is the, is the thing that pulls it all together. Now you think that's all we need. No, there's more to it. We need to have something to help us gauge where we're really at. There are some people who can put on a faux humility, they can put off anger. They can set it aside. They can, they can do it. Then they don't know the Lord at all. They can put on things that appear to be nice. Take, for instance, some Mormons. They're some really nice people. But they are in their sins and they are corrupt before God because they have rejected Jesus Christ and they're on their way to hell. It's an external show because their hearts are corrupt. The outside is clean. But here we're going to see there's something that's going to guide. It's going to umpire. It's going to help us understand if what we're doing is really from the Lord or not. If it's really from the Lord or not. You see? So we're going to need this. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Put everything off like a dirty garment, those sins. Put on Christ. Put on those things of him. And now he's going to talk about the heart motives. The heart motives that are guiding these things. The things that are behind. You see, because if I don't have the peace of Christ ruling and I'm putting off anger, I'm really not putting it off at all. It's when God's peace is, is guiding me and leading me in the context of relationship with him that I'm not going to enter into that anger. I don't want to. It's contrary to that relationship I have with the Lord and what he, his will for me is. So then we have the command here. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay. Let it rule in your hearts. Now, the term heart in Scripture is synonymous with the mind. As, you know, speaking of the evil man in, in, in Proverbs, so he thinks that he is. He is. You know, the way you think, that's who you are. Your heart and mind are together. Some say, well, it didn't get from his mind to his heart. It's the same thing. He just, he didn't believe it. He didn't, didn't, didn't take it in. The reality is what we think, and we see this throughout scripture, those things used simultaneously. Let, let it, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's in your thinking. That's in who you are. Let it rule your mindset. Let it rule your thoughts, as we're going to see. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, first of all, the most obvious thing we got to look at here is, it says the peace of Christ. What does that mean? The peace of Christ. Well, we know that Scripture reveals God in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and that we see in Scripture that each person, God in, in total, is characterized by peace. God is characterized by peace. And you say, what is peace? Well, between differing parties, it would be the, it's the opposite of division, dissension, conflict, and war in terms of parties, right? But in terms of a character or disposition, it is the lack of anxiety, fear, confusion, and it speaks of harmony, peace, and tranquility. It's the lack, and we're going to see a little later on all the things it's a lack of, it includes those. Harmony, peace, and tranquility, as we'll say. Now, Scripture reveals that God is characterized by peace. Indeed, he is named the God of peace multiple times. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. The God of peace, he's the one who does it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up the great shepherd from the dead... The blood of the eternal covenant through that, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good work to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace does the work. The God of peace. Romans fifteen thirty three. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He's not the God of confusion. 
He's not the God of fear. He's not the God of anxiety. He's not the God of, of strife. He's the God of peace. He's the God of peace. Romans 16.20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hey, he's going to take care of that, right? Now, we see also in Scripture the term the Lord of peace. It's interesting. Second Thessalonians 3.16, mark this verse. You can write it down, make a note of it, or just remember it. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Isn't that a great verse? In every circumstance. That's God's desire. The Lord of peace. He's the sovereign over peace. If you got peace, you want peace. It comes from the God of peace. The one who is sovereign over true peace. The world has its own peace. God has his peace. You see? Very important. And we know from Isaiah 9, 6 that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And in our passage, we see that it is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. The term Christos uh, and its Hebrew counterpart speaks of the anointed one. It speaks of the king. It speaks of the one who would reign on David's throne forever. The one who would need to suffer first for the glories to follow. It speaks of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so here, may the peace of the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, who died for you and rose from the dead, may that one actually be that which is ruling in your heart. The peace of Christ, or Christ's peace. Christ's peace. May the peace of the exalted Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who we are setting our minds on, may that be ruling your hearts. So then, first of all, God is characterized by peace. And we see that his son is characterized by peace, being God the Son. And we see that it's the peace of Christ. Now, the world, I mentioned, is looking for peace. The world's looking for it. The the world wants peace, and it will never receive God's peace apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. You see, because their peace is not a true peace. You see, sin is in the way. God declares in Isaiah 57, verse 21, There is no peace, says my God for the wicked. There's no, there's zero of God's peace. God, there's zero of God's peace for the wicked because sin is in the way and peace comes from God in a real relationship with Him. The only way to have peace is to have a true relationship with the Lord of peace. You see, when we encounter God's grace through Jesus Christ, we receive His peace. When you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we first of all have positional peace with God. We were at enmity. There was no peace. But we receive that peace. Having been justified by faith, therefore, Romans 5, when we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself, Ephesians chapter 2, is our peace. He brought together in salvation Jews and Gentiles. He brought together those groups in one group in Christ and he's building them up, Ephesians chapter 2. He himself is our peace. We know from Colossians chapter 1, if you look back a little bit, look at verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure, chapter 1, for all the fullness to dwell in him, that's Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace, through the blood of his cross, through him. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. So if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not trusted in him, believing he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you don't have peace, but you can have peace today. Peace with God and then practical peace in every circumstance you will allow him to have in your life. It's up to you as we'll see how much you allow him to have peace in your life. He's willing to give you peace in every circumstance, if you'll allow it. And we'll see how that's done. So then, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace, and you'll have peace with God. So we receive positional peace when we're reconciled through faith in Jesus Christ. But all these different circumstances we have, I'm sure you've maybe had a lack of peace today, driving on the road here, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, something's happened. You hear of something that's distressing. Whatever it might be. You'll read the, look at the news. That'll take your peace, suck your peace right out right away, right? The reality is, there's a lot of things that cause us to not have peace. But as we've seen, it is God's desire that we have peace in every circumstance. That's His desire. 
And he is the Lord of peace and he'll do it if we, if we allow him. You see, God's desire is to have peace. And it's also his desire for that true peace, not a faux peace, not a world's peace, but that true peace to rule in our hearts. To rule in our hearts. So what does this practical peace look like in a, in a, in, 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 biblically speaking? What does that look like? What does God's practical peace look like? What does that look like? We read this earlier, but turn to John 14. John 14. So we've seen positional peace through Jesus Christ. Now what about practical peace? What does it look like that we should have? And I don't want to answer this from my own wisdom or understanding or experience. I want to answer it from the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? John 14, 27. This is the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, and he is going to be leaving them, going to the cross, and he is sending, as we'll see, a spirit. And he says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. I leave it with you. He says, my peace I give to you. That's Jesus' peace. That's the peace of Christ, by the way. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled. Let it not be fearful. Well, first of all, we see God's peace doesn't have trouble involved with it. God's peace doesn't have fear involved with it, right? If we've got God's peace, we don't need to be troubled or fearful, right? We're going to see that, right? We know from Philippians 4 that this peace is a peace that surpasses comprehension. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Verse 6, make your, let your request be, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension. You can't figure it out. It's beyond what you could think. Okay, that's another element of God's peace. Well, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. So God's peace doesn't have anxiety in it. If you want to know what God's peace is, if anxiety's there, that's not God's peace. It's not there. When you got anxiety, God's peace is not there. It's not there. Notice in 1 Corinthians 14, God's peace does not exist in the context of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, I'll read this. In the context of the, 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 the Corinthians who were messed up in their, in their service and how they were messed up in the way they were doing things. It was out of order. It was confused. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but peace. If you've got confusion, that's not God's peace. Now, guess what? We get confused. But when we yield over to Christ, he gives us a peace and that confusion goes away. You see? So God's peace doesn't include confusion. It doesn't include confusion. So then, the peace of Christ he gives doesn't have trouble, fear, anxiety, confusion associated with it. And as we saw earlier in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it's not tied to circumstances because he says he wants to give us peace in every circumstance. You see? I'm going to read that verse again because it's so wonderful. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. A lot of good 3.16s. No, those aren't inspired, but a lot of good 3.16s, right? Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. So then peace is not based on a circumstance, it's based on the Lord who grants it. Yes, sir. And we know, I mentioned it already, that it guards our hearts and minds, passes comprehension. We know from James chapter 3 that his peace is a characteristic of his word and his wisdom. James 3. You can turn there, James 3. You see, whatever wisdom you're functioning by, it's going to manifest in your behavior, and thus you're going to see the result, whether it's peace or not. If you're functioning by your own wisdom, analyzing your circumstances, guess what? You're going to get upset. If you're functioning by his wisdom and his ways, he's going to give you peace. James 3.14 But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant so as to lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural. Everybody says, natural is good. Well, it's not good here. Earthly, natural, and demonic. It's, it's, it's from the world, Right? It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Don't be so arrogant to think that if you're functioning by world's wisdom, you're functioning by God's. You're not, because all that stuff is the result of it, right? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable. 
gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and of good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're going to see there's a lack of peace in the church these days. There's a lack of peace in the body of Christ, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Okay, I'm not saying compromise. In no way ever is God saying peace through compromise, peace through sin. That's hypocrisy. No, not at all. It's peace through letting Christ rule your heart and amidst the circumstances that are happening in your life. So then, the peace Christ gives doesn't have trouble, fear, anxiety, confusion, jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, conflict associated with it, but it guards our hearts and minds and surpasses comprehension. So if you want to know what God's peace is, Christ's peace, there's a little helper for that, biblically speaking, okay? Biblically speaking. So this wonderful continual peace God is willing to grant us in every circumstance, that's God's desire. But how does this happen, practically speaking? Does it just happen out of thin air? Boop, I got it. How does it happen? Scripture reveals the impediment to God's peace certainly in salvation, but also in sanctification, which is sin. That's the impediment to God's peace. And also a lack of faith is an impediment to God's peace, as we'll say. Indeed, we have positional peace with God, but we can lose his practical peace when we choose to allow sin to control us or we choose to allow our understanding to control us rather than the will of God and the God who gives his will in the word. Now, something that's also missed here is the relationship between God's peace and the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship here. Indeed, we all know this. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is first love, joy, peace, right? The fruit of that. Now, if you read that passage, he's exhorting these Galatians who are having some spits and spats because they're being sanctified by the flesh. They've got some problems there. Rather than allowing them to be sanctified by the Spirit, they've bought into some false teachers. The reality is he's saying, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of flesh. Let the Spirit of God guide your walk. Let the Spirit of God, as we see through the Word of God, guide your walk. And the fruit of that is going to be love, joy, peace. Peace. Look back in John 14, because we're going to see again the relationship between the Spirit of God and peace. The Spirit of God, and, and we'll see the Word of God in that. It goes together. It goes together. John 14, we're going to go back a tiny bit just to verse 26. Notice this, how it's together. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. Who's he leaving? He's leaving the Holy Spirit. The peace comes through the person of God himself, the Spirit, working in the heart of the believer who is yielded and not sinning and trusting Christ. He uses his Spirit through the Word to give us peace. He's a spirit through the word to give us peace. Indeed, we see that. What does Romans 8, 6 say? I'll read it for you. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. When I set my mind on the things of the spirit through the word of God, rather than my perceptions and everything's happening, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have his peace, you see? Later on in Romans chapter 14, when he is exhorting the weaker in the faith and the stronger in the faith, exhorting both of them, he says in Romans 14, for the kingdom of God, verse 17, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God brings forth the peace of God in the yielded life of the believer who is obeying and trusting the God of the Word, right? We see that. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Now this peace is not disconnected from the Word of God. As we already saw that, that he would bring to remembrance through his Spirit the things he has said, God's Word. And then a little later in John 16, Jesus says in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. I've spoken the things to you that you may have peace. He says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. God's word by the Spirit gives us peace. 
gives us peace. What about Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 3, you can turn there. It's through the wisdom of God, which is the word of God, right? Is, is revealed in the word of God. Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and what? Peace they will add. That's God's word. By the Spirit of God will add peace. You know, people go to counselors because of the lack of peace. They go to counselors because of all the problems. Why don't the counselors share the word of God? Share the truth from the wonderful counselor. And we need to come alongside us. We'll see admonishing and teaching and caring for others when they are caught up to graciously, gently point them to the God of peace. That his peace would rule their hearts. That they could see where their mind thinking isn't right. And they would turn and trust the Lord and have peace, right? We're to be peacemakers. Happens in all different ways. You think of peacemakers as simply those who make peace between parties. That's true. But we are those who can bring forth the truth concerning the peace of God in the life of one who knows the Lord. Proverbs 3.13, a little farther down. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Context is God's word, by the way. And the man who gains understanding for its profit is better than silver and gains gain than fine gold. Verse 15, she is more precious than jewels and nothing you com- desire compares to her. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Verse 17, her ways are pleasant and all her paths are peace. The word of God by the spirit of God and the true believer brings God's peace. Brings God's peace. God wants you to have peace in every circumstance. But it doesn't happen out of thin air. You've got to be walking by the Spirit. You've got to let the Spirit of God use the Word of God to change your mind, to change your heart about your circumstances, to see it from His perspective. And it's a process. It's the renewal of the mind. That's what it's called. And within that, obedience brings peace. Obedience to God's Word. Disobey, sin, no peace. Think about after the Philippians passage about being anxious for nothing. If you go past that, you can look at Philippians 4, verse 8. Obedience brings peace. When we do what God says, there's peace. And that's not a rote doing, but a, a, a real doing, okay? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind only sense. Get your mind on Jesus. Because he's the only thing worthy of praise in what he's done, right? The things you have, look at this. The things you have learned, that's from the word of God, received and heard and seen in me, that's from the apostle Paul, that's the truth. Practice or do these things and the God of peace shall be with you. Obey God's word and you're going to have peace. Be anxious for nothing, you're going to have peace. Obey God's word. Obey his word. I guarantee you when you disobey, peace is gone. It's gone. What a great God we have. What a wonderful passage. There's different versions. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3. The steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. It's focused on Jesus. Not upon, ah, oh, this is happening here. Oh, this is happening here. Oh, oh, oh. Focused on Jesus. Focused on Jesus. Note what he says here. Because he trusts in thee. It's not simply having his word by his spirit, obeying it. There's a faith underneath. You're trusting in the Lord Jesus. You will not have his peace if you're not trusting in Jesus. You see, it says in Isaiah 23, 4, the next verse, trust in the Lord forever. For the God of the Lord, for in the God of the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord. When we allow the Spirit of God to work through the Word of God in our hearts to change and renew our minds, when we believe what God has said and trust in the God who said it, and when we step out in obedience, empowered by Him, led by His Spirit, we have peace. We have peace. His peace. His peace. Now, back to our passage. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by let the peace of Christ? We know what the peace of Christ is, don't we? We know how to get it, don't we? Yes, we do. I just shared that, right? So what does this mean? The term rule spoke of initially of the, 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 uh, umpire at the games. 
And they would uh, basically, have, people would do the games, and at the end they would make a judgment based on whether they followed the rules or not. You're disqualified, or you get the prize. They made a judgment. Now this term came to speak of making a decision, deciding between, or arbitrating, directing, or controlling. It's kind of interesting. This is where it gets d- difficult. So I go, well, wait a second, Lord, what do you mean here? Because peace from a human perspective, is subjective. But from a biblical perspective, it's not. You see, if you let human peace based on your own understanding rule over your heart, you're going to be in big trouble. If you let the peace that comes when you obey Christ and allow his word to work in you, that true peace, which believers know that, we know that, you let that be the arbitrator in our hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. You're tempted to get angry. No, let God's peace overrule let his peace rule in your heart. Let it be the arbitrator. It's When you're angry, that's not like his peace. It's not right. Something's wrong there. When we get frustrated, we get worried, we get anxious. That's not God's peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Don't let anger and wickedness and other things rule in your heart. Don't let reactions rule in your heart. Don't do it. We as believers are not to get upset when someone says something we don't like. We do sometimes. We've got to confess it. We should let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let it overrule. You're walking with him. You're seeing it from his perspective. This is a command, by the way. It's not a suggestion. It sounds like a suggestion. Let the peace. No, it's, it's a command. The peace of Christ is to rule in your hearts. It's to rule in your hearts. When we allow God's peace through the renewed mind by the Spirit of God, trusting in Jesus and obeying his word, that peace will arbitrate in our hearts and help us make right decisions concerning what is right. Let the peace control you. Don't let it go away through sin. Don't do it. So we can know when we have peace and we don't, don't we? Now, there's the faux peace. I know that. That's the faux. But we know the true peace of God We know when we're yielded to him. We know when we're believing his word. We know when we're obeying in the midst of things. And that peace that we have, let that rule over. Let that rule over. If that was happening, there'd be a lot less conflicts. Now, given here, notice the application here. It's very interesting. I thought this was interesting. It's the obvious application, by the way. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And first of all, before I get to that, is it ruling in your hearts? Let it. Let it rule in your hearts. You need to be walking with the Lord and letting his peace rule over. It, it's, it's an umpire showing you what's right and what's wrong. You see? It's telling you this is the way, not that way. Right? It's arbitrating. It's umpiring. Let the peace of Christ rule and then the obvious application to which indeed you were called in one body. Very interesting statement to which indeed you were called in one body. Wait a second, how was this talking about? This is the obvious application. You see, we were called into fellowship with his son Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, through the gospel, right? We were called by God to freedom, Galatians 5, 13. We were called in one hope of our calling, Ephesians 4, 4. We were called unto eternal life, 1 Timothy 6, 12. We were called that we might inherit a blessing, 1 Peter 3, 9. And we were called here for the purpose of allowing his peace to rule our hearts in the context of the body of Christ. We were called to that together. When we were saved, we have peace with God and we have his peace. But we were called to peace within the body of Christ. He says here, to which you were indeed called in one body. That's the body of Christ. You see, we're to have peace with the world, as we'll see as much as you can, but you can't always have peace with the world. Jesus actually said he didn't come to bring peace with the world. He didn't come to have the church have peace with the world. He didn't come to bring the church to have peace with the world. We see this in John, in John or in Matthew chapter 10. Let me read this. Jesus said, no, you could turn there right now. 
We were not saved that we would have peace with the world. We were saved that we'd have peace with one another and those who come to faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're out there being honorary with the world. We should try to be at peace with all men, as we'll see. But we were saved to have peace with one another. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Remember what the angel said uh, in Luke? And peace among men with whom he is well pleased. You see? He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And he talks about, you gotta love him more than them, right? You gotta give for your life. When you believe in Jesus, there's an instant dividing line between you and those who don't know him, and there's gonna be trouble. Okay? But when they come to faith, that trouble is alleviated. You see? And it should be, right? We were called to peace within the body of Christ. We were called into a saving relationship, and that brings conflict with the world, but in the, in the body of Christ, it brings peace. Jesus brought peace between saving, saved Jews and saved Gentiles. He is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2, and they're being built up. We're being built up together, right? The primary application of this passage, certainly we want to apply it to ourselves, and yes, we do, um, is that there should be peace manifest between one another in the body of Christ. Because we should be letting his peace rule, which is going to change the way I treat you and I treat you and I treat you when you upset me or you upset me or you upset me or I perceive you did. Well, maybe you didn't. Whatever it is. You see, this is the hard attitude behind forgiving one another and forbearing and letting go and loving. There's his peace because his word's controlling you so you don't have to act on it. You trust him as we'll see. You see, concerning everyone were to be at peace. You know, if you look at even with uh, God wants us to have peace, even with uh, in the context of relationships, uh, if an unbelieving spouse wants to leave, you're to let them leave, by the way. That's what the Bible says. Otherwise, you're going to have conflict. And Paul says, yet if the unbeliever wants to leave, 1 Corinthians 7.15, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Interesting. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. That's everywhere. It's not saying because they're not saved, you're going to be in conflict with them. There is going to be conflict, but try to be at peace. Right? Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men. And we pursue that peace together with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I don't think we pursue peace enough, to be honest with you. I don't think we pursue it enough in the body of Christ. I don't think we pursue it enough within our relationships of believers. We've got to pursue it. doesn't mean compromise. doesn't mean hypocrisy. God's word is not nullified to have peace. Okay? 1 Peter 3.8, to peace, sum it up, be harmonious. Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For this very purpose you were you were called, for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking guile, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his face is against those who do evil. Seek peace. Now we mess up. You mess up. Go seek peace. Get reconciled, right? Right away. Don't wait. Don't wait. We are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the of the spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians four three. Diligent. And the way that happens is I'm letting His peace rule in my life because I'm spirit led and spirit controlled. You see, and I'm not allowing that which is opposite to peace to control me because that will cause a lack of peace in my relationships, right? What did Paul tell the Thessalonians in the end of First Thessalonians 5.13? Live in peace with one another. That's the body of Christ. Matthew 5.9, blessed are what? The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We are to have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. And you see, if I let my flesh go, if I let my worries happen, I let all this stuff go, it's going to cause trouble in relationships. 
We weren't called to trouble in the body of Christ. We weren't called to conflict. God didn't save you unto conflict. He saved you unto peace. And we're not going to have peace unless I let his peace mediate, arbitrate, control my heart. It's really clear. Now, how do we know if his peace is controlling us? There's some evidences. Notice back in our passage, he says, and be thankful. Very interesting. We're going to see thanksgiving in the next verse, but it's really the term grace. And then we're going to see thanksgiving, the same word, in the verse afterwards. A lot of thankfulness around. I believe the connected evidence to allowing his peace to reign in you is thankfulness. You see, when he's in control and you got his peace, oh, what's going to come out of that? Being thankful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You worked out. Thank you for taking care of this. Thank you, you'll take care of this. Thank you, you've got under control. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? He's walking in thankfulness. Now, it's interesting. He says, and be thankful. Now, in Greek, there are two different verbs you can use to translate be or to be in a sense. The first one is amy, and it means to be. I am, you are, to be, you know, that, that, right? The second one is ginomai, which speaks of becoming. Okay? Very close, interrelated, crossover. Okay? Our passage here speaks of becoming. The first one, ginomai, speaks of the state of being, being something. The second one speaks of the state of becoming something. So you could literally translate this and continually, habitually become thankful. It's like you just gotta, it's gotta, you gotta become that, right? Continually, habitually. They've translated it, be thankful because of that constant, continual, habitual attitude. Continually become thankful. Make that what you become. Be thankful. You see, that's going to be an evidence of the Spirit of God working in your heart. If you're thankful, then you probably got His peace on you. If you're thankful, the Spirit of God's working. We know uh, the, the, the Spirit's... Uh, uh, you know, being filled with the Spirit will will bring about thankfulness. Ephesians chapter 5, right? Be filled with the Spirit. talks about singing and making melody and always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus. A thankful Christian is probably a Christian that's walking with the Lord, by the way. If you find yourself not thankful, then I bet the peace of God is kind of slipped away. I bet you that. you got to be thankful for everything, Lord. This is a terrible thing to happen, but I know that you're going to turn it to good. We're not thankful for bad things that they're bad. We think that God turns it good. Thank you, Lord, that you just exposed my problem, that I wasn't doing what was right here, whatever it is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're helping me learn how to be uh, what you want me to be. Thank you, Lord God. We're to be giving thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't believe you can have his peace controlling your heart if you're not thankful. I don't believe it will be controlling your heart. Indeed, Romans 1, the symptom of unbelief is they didn't give thanks. You see, if you're not thanking God... On a continual basis, just it's in your heart. Thank you. It's true. It's genuine. It's not a fake thankfulness. I gotta say thank you every time. It's a real genuine thankfulness. See, that's, you know, when God's word by his spirit is working on your heart. God's word is changing you. He's causing you to be like Christ. He's letting you see things right. When you see things rightly, not your way, but his way, all that's left is do is thank him. Thank you, Lord. Are you a thankful person? Is it part of your daily, hourly, moment-by-moment prayer life? If it isn't, it's an evidence that you're maybe not controlled by the Spirit as much as you should be, right? Now, we're not to fool ourselves thinking the peace of Christ ruling in us is ruling us if we don't have any thankfulness, right? Because the peace of Christ is connected with the Spirit of God, and if the Spirit of God's working on me, I'm going to be thankful, right? So then, we've seen today we are commanded to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. And we are called to it in one body and be thankful. It's the peace of Christ. It's his peace. It comes from God. It is without confusion. It is without worry. It's without fear. It's without trouble. It's his peace. It's not based on circumstance. And it comes when we allow his word by his spirit to change our hearts and minds, 
that we would think his way. And when we obey his word and trust in him, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. Now that peace that we should have all the time, which he wants to have, let that be the mediator, the judge, the arbiter. So when situations come and you're tempted to act a certain way, that's not according to his peace. Don't do it. That's that's contrary to being yielded to Christ. That's contrary. Let his peace rule your hearts. And that should be manifest in the body. We should be loving one another. We should be having pursuing peace. In the context of putting off and putting on the truth of Christ. Well, some of you have never experienced true peace because you're still in your sins. Today's the day of salvation. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins, that you're God who took on human flesh and you rose from the dead. You've said whoever will call upon your name will be saved. Lord Jesus, save me, and you'll be saved. You'll have peace with God, and you'll have peace in every circumstance you yield to him, every single one. Some believers here may have lost peace. Sin has gotten in the way. It's slipped away. You know it's slipped away when you're angry. You know it's slipped away when you're frustrated. You know that's slipped away. Don't let it happen as often. We're, we're, being, we're being conformed to his image. Yes, we fail. Let his peace rule your hearts and become thankful. Be thankful. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the truth that you've brought forth. And Lord, help us to obey this command to allow your peace to rule over our hearts. I pray for anyone who's not saved, Lord God, that they would have peace today. They would cry out to your son, Jesus. And I pray for us that we would be more aware of where our hearts are at, that we would allow your peace to rule over our hearts, to rule in our hearts, to be supreme in our hearts, that that is what is reigning in our hearts. I pray for that. Lord, help us confess any areas that we failed, in which we have gone to that lack of peace. We know it. And help us trust you. And help us be quick to confess and quick to allow your peace to control us and reign. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.